the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Responding to Pressures is the title of today's message, and Pastor Ben Pitney is going to speak from James chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. I th- I'm, I'm so excited that you're uh, tuning in with us today. And I know that you're celebrating things today and you're enjoying being together, and I'm excited about that. So I think, though, that God has some things that um, he wants to teach us today. We've been going through a series called The Great Mystery, and I just wanted to today, though, uh, depart from that just for this Sunday and talk about pressures in, in our life. A lot of times we feel... Even on days like this, we struggle and, uh, with some trials, and trials produce pressures in our life. There's no doubt that we're living in a time right now where maybe you're feeling that as well. Um, I would say lots of people are going through some trials and difficulties, and it's kind of crazy how when that happens, the pressure rises, and then we all respond a little bit differently Kind of like when the alti- when you drive up a mountain, you know, and the altitude increases, you go up, right? And your ears uh, need to pop because of the pressure. Or if you're in an airplane and you take off and you get up uh, higher up in the altitude, your ears are under pressure. And it's the most miserable thing, though, when your ears don't do what they're supposed to do, right? Because of it can happen for various reasons, right? And that's what happens to all of us when... Pressure happens because of different trials and struggles and, and things. So it's, it's pretty cool how in the book of James, that's where I want you to turn is to James chapter 1, how James actually, I believe, addresses this. God speaks through him in such really practical ways. And James has a way of giving us tools to respond to things, in particular trials. So I want to Start in verse 9 of chapter 1 and just read through verse 18, and then we'll draw the truth out of the text. And today we'll find out how this applies to us. What's this have to do with us? So he says, starting in verse 9, he says, Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow. The petal of the flower falls off and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Do not be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters. All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation 
or the slightest hint of change. By a sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So like I said, life has a way of surprising us with unexpected tests. They come in the form of trials, and trials create then pressure, right? Difficult circumstances put our faith to the test sometimes, and maybe you're going through a difficult time right now. I think we all are regarding the, this virus and the stay-at-home orders and then our economy and, you know, just how we've had to adjust as a church, right? And so James, the brother of the Lord and the writer of this letter, he refers to these situations as trials. So we all have trials and adversity and struggle and difficulties. And these tests or trials come from unexpected sources sometimes. Maybe you get a phone call, right? A visit to the doctor, a summons from a supervisor, Suddenly, life changes radically, and the question is, how will we respond? And I got to say, I got to learn just like everybody else, because I do not always respond the way I should. So trials are circumstances in life that produce pressure and suffering or struggles. And they may come from persecutions for our faith in Jesus. They don't always. Or they may come simply because God has designed them for us so our character might be purified or perfected, James says. And I don't like this, but I believe, and I don't think God does this all the time, but I believe sometimes he does allow things to happen or even design things to happen in order to produce good things in our life or perfect us perfect our character, or bring about maturity. But even if trials are designed for our good, it's probably safe to say, everybody would say this, in other words, that no one looks forward to trials. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody likes them. Nobody looks forward to them. So because of this pressure that trials bring, right, it usually has the effect of discouraging us. Maybe you're discouraged today. I know that I have been discouraged because I don't do very well, actually, by staying home all the time. I actually get charged up from being around people. And so if you got to stay home a lot, it's, it's pretty frustrating um, for you and discouraging. And so that's the way I've been a little bit. But James says that when we encounter trials, we are to consider it nothing but joy because trials produce maturity. And that's really easy to say, but hard to live. God has designed everything in life for our good. And so rather than trying to avoid suffering, and we all try to avoid suffering, James says we should allow it to do its work. Let the pressure mold us and change us, actually. Oftentimes we become confused when we're bruised by the storms of life. But James says we should pray, asking God for wisdom, wisdom and faith, so that we will not be tossed around by the storm. So today, we're going to look at dealing with this pressure of life. Understand trials. We want to understand suffering so that we can respond the way God wants us to. And, you know, if you've watched 
the video with my daughter, I, I got to tell you, it, it was hard for me to ask her to produce that video. But she did it with joy and willingly, and I'm so proud of her for her perspective and her understanding of, I think, the way God works in the middle of all these kinds of things. And he's been at work in my life and my wife, Linda's life, I think, as well through this, because there's nothing more difficult and hurtful sometimes than watching your children struggle through trials. It brings its own pressure to uh, parents, right? So the first thing that I, I, I think that we want to address here is embarrassment. <laughs> embarrassment, right? We're going to look at two of the more common problems that we encounter when we face trials. The first problem is embarrassment. Look at verses 9 through 12 again. We'll put this up on the screen because it takes on new life and you can kind of see it like this. Let's just read it again. It says, now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. The sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow. The petal of the flowers fall off and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of its pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So when we face trials, James is saying we got a problem with embarrassment, right? That's what's produced in a lot of the time is because trials have a way of exposing us. They really, really do. They make us feel naked and vulnerable, actually. Suffering, what suffering does in adversity and struggle, it, it strips us physically of things. And in particular here, he's talking about possessions, things like possessions, things like, you know, your emotions. So we get kind of beside ourselves emotionally and trials strip us of security sometimes. So we feel alone, we feel scared, we feel uncomfortable, we compare ourselves with others, and we worry about our appearance and our image. So what makes a trial really hard to swallow is seeing other people prosper. <laughs> Man, if everyone was kind of brought to this low place, we wouldn't feel so bad, you see. If we could live like those who seem to have everything, then we could be convinced that God is good to us, right? And we all want to be blessed. We all want to be blessed. We try to accumulate money and, and possessions so that we can hide our nakedness. We can escape our pain, actually. And we can pretend that we're secure. See, the Jews here in this time that James is writing to this letter to were exiles and they were aliens. They were scattered, they were poor, and they were treated unjustly by the wealthy and by wealthy landlords. They thought if they had money and the status of, the, of their rich overseer, then life would be sweet. I don't know why you wouldn't feel like that, right? The psalmist who writes Psalm 73, actually verses 3, 4, and 5, and then verse 12, I'm going to collect those together. He explains or articulates the feelings of, of so many who are facing trials. Listen to what he has to say. It's one of my most favorite psalms. David didn't write this particular psalm, just one of his guys. He says, for I envied those who are proud 
as I observe the prosperity of the wicked, for they suffer no pain. Their bodies are strong and well-fed. They're immune to the trouble common to men. They do not suffer as other men do. Take a good look, he says. This is what the wicked are like. Those who always have it so easy and get richer and richer, right? I, I feel like this is sometimes, right? The, the wealthy always siv, seem to live comfortably and trouble-free, right? Most of us think like that. So James, he gives us two things to think about when we're tempted to believe like this. And this is why I said he gives us two tools, things to think about that, that I think truly work. So the first thing he says is our evaluation of prosperity, that's wrong. That's wrong. Life is paradoxical. Life's a paradox. And I don't know if you know what a paradox is, but let me give you an example of a paradox. Finding leads to losing. Losing leads to dying. Dying leads to living. That's a, a paradox of believing in Christ and knowing Christ, right? So we should not judge the book by the cover, in other words, right? We should not evaluate blessings by the address of your house or how big it is or the label on, a, on clothing or what car you drive, right? Things are very different from what they appear to be on the surface. So James compares a poor brother and a rich man, a rich man who's not a brother, right? The former is undistinguished. In other words, he is of no account, lowly, humble, and broken. This is how Jesus was regarded in his day. This is what people thought about Jesus. The rich man has abundance and seems secure, right, from the storms of life. On the surface, one would think that a rich man would, was blessed. He'd achieved a high place or a high station and could boast of his accomplishments and his acquisitions and all these things. But it is the contrary that's true. The poor brother can glory in his high position, James is saying, because he will be exalted. The rich man, in contrast, should, be actu should actually boast in his low position because he will end up being humbled. So James uses an analogy to prove his point right here. The rich man's like, you know, the wildflower or flowering grass so to speak. He, he, he says, when the rain falls, the, the flowering grasses of the field are beautiful and they, and, they, and they flourish. But when the sun rises with the scorching wind, the flower falls off, the beauty's destroyed and goes away. We can see this in the desert right now. Things have been blooming. They bloom like crazy. But we all know that in just a few weeks, all of that beautiful yellow flower that's on the Palo Verde is just going to fall off on the ground and go away, right? So the Lord reveals this truth in Psalm 73 in verses 16 through 20. Let's keep going in that psalm. I read the first part, but let's look at the psalmist and what he's got to say here. He says, when I tried to make sense of this, it was troubling to me. Then I entered in the precincts of God's temple and understood the destiny of the wicked. Surely you put them in slippery places. You bring them down to ruin. How desolate they become in a mere moment. Terrifying judgments make their demise complete. They're like a dream after one wakes up. Oh, Lord, when you awake, 
you will despise them. So here's the second thing that's going to help us see behind this fallacy or facade that the wealthy seem to live trouble-free lives is recognizing that, that our time frame is too short. We're thinking in too short-sighted ways, right? We're, make, we're squishing everything into the, into the now. He says, we want to be a blessed immediately, but there's more to life than the here and the now, actually. The fact is, we will be blessed if we faithfully endure and remain under trial. If we're careful under trial, we'll, we'll, we'll be approved when, when we receive the crown of life, which is a symbol for eternal life. The stakes are extremely high. The trophy is the crown of life. We've got to be a little bit more patient because trials expose those who appear to have faith who in the heat of the battle give up on God, fold under pressure and go their own way. And so the strong suggestion or the encouragement here is to endure the test so that in the end, we'll have the blessing that we desire and that we want. Any, any bit of genuine faith, however small, will be demonstrated and perfected, James says. So we shouldn't be embarrassed when we encounter trials, when we're humbled and brought low under the pressure of struggle and adversity and even suffering. James is saying, life is a paradox. Be careful here. Things are not always as they seem. And our evaluation, by and large, is faulty. We should strive to look to the end and see our high position, the glory that is in store for those who love God. This is what Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount, actually. In that intimate time with his guys, when he's trying to teach his guys, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the humble, for they'll inherit the earth. But what, we want to, what do we want to do? We have this second problem that we encounter when we're undergoing trials, and we blame God. We get trapped in this all the time. We play this blame game. We try to blame God. Look at verses 13 through 18, what James has to say. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one of us is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Those are really important words right there, lured and enticed. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters, James says. All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. And then verse 18, by his own sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So see, the problem here is blaming God when we succumb to the temptation and fall into sin. Trials produce pressure. At times we become discouraged. And at other times we try to escape the pressure by running away. But occasionally, we're tempted to sin, actually. <laughs> and we sell out 
We seek to satisfy our own desires as a way of alleviating the anguish of despair we feel. We do this all the time. And I don't know, maybe you're kind of doing this right now. And there's an interesting wordplay here. The word tempted is the verb form of the word trial. Trial is the state of the condition. Tempt is the action evoked, actually. Trials are not the results of sin. They're the circumstances that bring about temptations to sin. God uses trials to test our faith and perfect our character, but Satan uses them to tempt us into sin and disobedience. For example, when we are wronged. Instead of enduring, we're tempted towards anger and revenge. You struggle with that? I do. When we're slandered by the words of a friend, when somebody says something about us that's not true or just twists things around, right? We're tempted to gossip about that person. The pressures we face in business, those pressures sometimes arouse our ambition and we respond maybe by cheating. (laughs) A difficult marriage tempts us to sexual immorality. A family member hurts us, and we respond by refusing to talk to them. These are really common things, right? Happens to all of us. The desire for our children to make the team or to, you know, be selected for um, something uh, really good, you know, uh, in, in, in school. Those kinds of temptations make us, uh, um, stir, stir us uh, to manipulate maybe situations, and maybe exalt our children above all kinds of other things, right? So the danger we face in the midst of suffering is to not persevere, but lose sight of the crown of life. Frustration gives way to bitterness and then bitterness to sin. We blame God for what we deem unfair circumstances. And we ask this question, why? It's actually the wrong question to ask most of the time. We justify our sin, sin that's manifests itself in anger or being moody (laughs) or maybe, maybe alcohol or drinking or gossip, all kinds of things like that, right? It was God that made us to do this since God dealt, dealt us such a bad hand of cards to play. (laughs) We have no resources, but Maybe we cheat now. God doesn't care for our needs. We feel like we have to look out for ourselves. So James offers a three-part response to this whole mindset. That's wrong thinking. Like I said, he's really practical. He gives us tools. So here's number one. To begin with, we need to accept responsibility for our actions. That's a part of maturity. Did you want to teach your children these kinds of things? Accept responsibility for your actions. Nobody wants to do that in this day and age. No one. James says, we can't blame God. God didn't tempt us. That's not him. God's not tempted by evil. Trials and sufferings can't be put forth as justification for committing sin. No matter how how much we hurt, we have to take responsibility for our actions, James says. And when we sin, the problem's not God. It's not our boss. It's not our parents. It's not our friends. 
The problem is ours alone. The pressure of trials never provides us with an excuse to sin. Here's number two. We need to understand the process of temptation and sin so that we will recognize patterns and habits that we're prone to fall into and take steps to counteract them. Because we're all prone to this and we all have the ability to fall right into this really easily. And so we've seen trials create pressure. When we turn up the pressure, that's where you kind of find really what you're made of, right? And in the process, our desires are stimulated by these external circumstances. And we're driven by external circumstances all the time. And then we're tempted. Of course, temptation in and of itself isn't actually wrong. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin, did he? Well, Jesus is God. (laughs) You know, we got to quit winging that around as an excuse. So we cannot eliminate temptation. It's our response to that temptation that is actually really vital. So this is the process, right? Where we're carried away and we're enticed by our desires and our desires in this instance is general in nature. We're just not talking about physical desire here, James isn't, but to all our normal desires and our cravings for love, security, acceptance, and on and on. When we face temptations, these desires become twisted and we all got desires for things. So James uses two insightful words to help us and to understand the process of temptation about how Satan gets us on the path of sin and gets us off track with God. He uses this carried away uh, words and the words enticed when we're undergoing trials. You know, we get carried away and we're enticed. And then desire is... uh, Aroused, and our desire draws us away from what our response would be, should be. And desire draws us to the bait, and we are ambushed then. We take the bait. After our a desire has enticed us and we fix our attention on the bait, desire conceives or it's birth, right? It gives birth to sin. And the words describe the process of bear, like bearing children, actually. Once desire conceives, a seed is planted and that seed grows and then it gives birth to a sinful act. Sin then gives birth to, he says, death. Death, which is manifest in a lack of joy, peace, fellowship with God. Let's look at the chain of progression. Here it is. It's really simple, actually. Desire, sin, death. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny. So when things are going smoothly, of course, of course, we think that we can handle anger. We think we can handle anything. Desire and greed, we can handle it when things are going good. I got this. But when the pressure comes, there's a different story to tell, isn't it? And we're all there. We're all there. It doesn't matter who you are. We all get there. Most people have a predictable response mechanism for dealing with stress and suffering. I know mine's predictable. If we understand how this process works, then we can begin to deal with with it at a point of conception before matters get beyond our control. 
And the challenge is to oppose temptation early on like Jesus did when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Let's move on because there's a third part of the solution to temptation to blame God for our problem. And it's understanding God's nature and character. And this is always a good solution. Understanding deeper God's nature and his character. It's a really big deal. And actually, Cammie quoted this in, in, in uh, some things that she was saying in, in her video. Instead of blaming God for our suffering and our sins that we commit as a result, we need to see him as he actually really is. And so James says in verse 16, he says, do not be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be led astray by this. Sometimes we, we project upon God our own attitudes and our feelings towards ourselves. And we think that God gives to us uh, these things when... when um, we think God gives to us when we are good and he takes away from us when we're bad. When he, when he gives, we feel blessed. When he takes away, we feel rejected. It's wrong thinking. We imagine God is fickle and God is unpredictable. We think he remembers our sin and he pays us back. He builds us up to let us down, but nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 17. It's actually all about God, right? The text says that God gives us good and perfect gifts, right? All generous giving and every perfect gift is from God. It's from above. We may think we're missing out on a blessing because of the trials that we face, but we've got to remember and know that all of life is a gift from God. Easier to say, harder to live out. Everything that he gives to us is perfect and good. Everything. God isn't stingy. He doesn't shop at thrift stores for gifts to give us. He doesn't want to make us miserable. He's not after that. The blessings that will be ours both now and in the future will be beyond anything we can possibly think of or imagine because God is a generous father. Look at verse 17. He says it. And God doesn't change. He is, verse 17, the father of lights with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. These terms refer to the movements of the, uh, of the planets and the sun. The solar system rotates. At times there's darkness, at times there's life, but it is not that way with God. No. First John 1, 5, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. God is the source of perfect light, and we always live in this light. And the fact that we suffer doesn't mean that we're in darkness, that God has turned away from us. His loyal love is not conditional. It's not conditional. Not even our sin causes him to change towards us. He is constant and steady, dependable, and trustworthy. Such a great promise to cling to during these times. And James tells us that God gives life. It was by his desire, by his word, 
that he caused us to be born again so that we might be the first fruits, one word, first fruits among his creatures. Look at verse 18. By his sovereign plan, he gives us birth through the message of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word first fruit refers to the best of the harvest, the best, that which is set aside for the Lord. And so notice the contrast to the process of sin, the process of sin and temptation. The process of sin is desire, sin, and death, right? James says that this does not come from God. The process is God by his desire, by his choice through his word of truth gives birth to new creation and we have life. God's the life giver who initiates life. He gave us the best gift of all, the life of his son, Jesus. Without his life, we would suffer without hope and despair without comfort. So what's this got to do with me? Oh, this is really good. If you look back over your life, can you recognize times when you've tried to bless yourself like me? When you have manipulated things to get things to work out for yourself? Oh man, we do it all the time. I do it. I take matters into my own hands. But all I feel when I do that is a feeling of emptiness, actually. When I look at what God's given me, though, friendships, times of joy, none of these things had anything to do with possessions, materialism, or most of the time, what I think I should have. All of these things came from God, nothing derived from me. All the good things, they don't come from me. Why? Because God is a generous father who does not change. He's not fickle. And all the good things actually come from him. Following Christ, being a Christ follower seems to kind of go against the grain, doesn't it? A lot of the time. Because our nature is to take matters in our own hands. Christ followers go against the grain. We should anyway by refusing to envy being rich or pursuing wealth all the time. We're supposed to live differently as Christ followers. We're supposed to live differently by glorifying God in our brokenness, by refusing to give in to sin and blame God. And as we live this way, we see God for who he really is, a generous, unchanging father, loyal and faithful, who's the very source of life. That's what this has to do with us. There's this character in the Bible. I've quoted him a couple times recently. His name is Job. And terrible things happened to Job, and he lost so much in his life. And when you read the book of Job and you see this scene, God gives Satan permission to torment him. He says, really, the only thing you can't do is kill him. I won't let you take his life. So, my goodness, Satan unleashes everything to get Job to curse God, and he just won't do it. And at the end of the book of Job, when you get down to chapter 42 in verse 5, look at what Job says. He confesses this. He says, he says, look, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I had heard about you. But now my eyes have seen you, and I get it. 
and then know who you are. How come he could do that? All those trials and adversities and difficulties that he faced. God used all that to reveal to Job just exactly who he is. It's amazing. It's amazing that he could say that. But he saw clearly who God was. I hope you have a really awesome time together today with your family and enjoy being thankful and grateful and celebrating and enjoying life together. I hope that happens for you today. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. We can spend a few moments today drawing the truth out of the text and seeing exactly who you are, God, today, that you are good and you are not fickle. All the good stuff comes from you. Help us to not be short-sighted. Help us to not act too quickly, not be embarrassed. Teach us, Lord God, how to not blame you, take responsibility, and understand that you are the sovereign creator of the universe and that you are looking out for our best interests. And you're in the middle of all of this right now. All of these things that are happening right now, this deadly virus, you're in the middle of all of this and good things can come from this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.